this episode, recorded at the multi-stakeholder online meeting Building a Coordinated Caribbean Position for CSW65, the Honorable Dr. Binia Persaud, Minister of Human Services and Social Security of the Parliament of Guyana, presents on the impact of the adoption of the Electoral Quota Law in Guyana and ongoing efforts to advance women's political leadership. Providing a historical overview, Minister Persaud assesses the progress achieved since the law's adoption, the present barriers to achieving gender parity in parliaments, and legislative strategies to promote women's political participation. and good day, good afternoon to everyone. And thank you, Senator Henfield. And I would like to thank Sewell, uh, UN Women, Parl Americas, UE, IGDS for convening this virtual session of passionate advocates for women's leadership, gender equality, and everything that will contribute to making our world the way it should be where there's equal space for the voices of every person. And what I'm very heartened by is the passionate articulations of everyone who spoke prior to me. And we must be cognizant that even though this conversation started over two decades ago or intensified over two decades ago, the journey has not come to the kind of conclusion that we want to see. And so the conversation still remains relevant not getting old, but hopefully as we move it forward, it will get to the point that we're comfortable with. Though we don't want to get too comfortable, lest we lower the expectations of what we want. So thank you very much for inviting me to present. And we have, we have been looking at the strides women have made in leadership across the decades. And we thought with the whole incidence of that, deliberation and all the Beijing declaration agenda, we would have seen the catalytic effect that we wanted nationally and regionally. But what remains telling is that almost two decades or more than two decades later, there's been no significant movement from the initial intervention in legislation. And that was argued for and still remains at 30% in my country. Now, the specific reference, as you asked, to gender quota legislation and its impact or correlation to representation of women's issues in the National Assembly will beg the question, should countries adopt a quota system if they haven't? And if they have adopted the quota system, is it doing what it was intended to do? And I think that's an important discussion to have because gender quotas for many countries who would have embarked on this, Guyana being the first at that time, represent practical means for achieving the democratic ideal of inclusion. They're legal or voluntary mechanisms and there's a minimum number percentage of women that must constitute the membership of the named body. In this case, we're speaking of the electoral candidate list, parliament or political parties. And, you know, I've always felt that advancing women's leadership has to do a lot with the receptiveness of nations and nations' populations and their willingness to participate in the effort to have significant 
women's presence in decision-making that affects them. But there are others who feel that the only way that this can happen is to ensure it by having quotas in legislation to ensure that participation, whether it's in decision-making, crafting national action plans or policies, or creating public education campaigns to promoting gender equality. But we are approaching 2030. Yes, we are 2021. But the question we will ask at this point, and I hope those who come after us will not have to ask in 2030, is that will the 50-50, the 50-50 that we want to see continue to elude us? And I, I will go back in time to the point where there was the whole drive to guarantee women's access to political space to ensure their wider participation. And that coupled with national inter international happenings at the time propelled the push for gender quota in legislation. That's where it all started. But there was this significant happening at the time in our country when there was the transition to democracy and subsequent constitutional reform process. And that was motivated by a unique socio-political history 1964 to 1992 of undemocratic governance. And that movement, that conversation, that push to reform created an entry point for the discussions on the adoption of the gender quota system. So it not, did not occur in isolation. At the time, the Commonwealth position was that women should hold 30% of parliamentary seats. The mobilization of Ghana's feminist movement and strong influences from the 1995 Beijing Conference on Women and its resultant declaration coupled with constitutional reforms in 1998 and 1999 birthed the establishment of an electoral quota. And that is when in 1991, 2001, Guyana became the first country to have that legal and systematic higher representation of women within the political sphere. Now, the whole process involved a number of consultations, but the national consultations were heavily focused on constitutional reform and gender quota did not receive singular focus. But what it did receive in parliament was some resistance. It also received cultural resistance. But because of the collective approach and the strong lobbying movement of women's arms of political parties, academically minded women, and interest group, that ensured that it remained on the agenda in spite of the ambivalence of the public at that time. Interestingly enough, the Constitutional Reform Committee had three women of its 20 members. And when that report was presented to the National Assembly, there was a convening of the Parliamentary Special Select Committee. And that committee was tasked with filtering recommendations. And there was an oversight committee as well to turn the reported language into constitutional language. And there's some very interesting bits that I picked up looking back at in time, of course, I wasn't there then, but looking back in time, looking back in time, and what was the mood and what were the kinds of questions asked before we could have gotten to the point to having the quota accepted, and parliamentarians questions. Why? Why should Parliament accept token women? We were called token women. And the Parliamentarian Committee raised legal and logical arguments that women already had everything they needed in the law. 
So women presented data from the UN and international conferences to ensure that they were heard and that those data illustrated that it was necessary to have equal representation of women in politics and that Guyana should not fall short of the international standard. One, one stood out, and I want to share this here, and I know there will be you know, expressions of outrage perhaps at, at what was mentioned. The question was raised, how could one be sure that competent women would be elected? And the lovely response was that there is no guarantee that competent men enter politics either. At that time, we, we had a member of the Human Rights Committee, the UN Human Rights Committee, and that member championed the argument that the level of women's participation in decision making was not that alone, it was actually their human rights. So women rights at the highest level became a human rights issue. But then there came that discussion on the, on the ratio. Should it have been 50-50, which was the argument advanced at that time? Then there was the pendulum being swung, 60-40, 40-60, men, women. Where should they find some sort of common ground on? And then eventually they came up, and I'll, I'll say the palatable for whom? I don't know, 30%, one third. And the women who lobbied for this lobbied and strategically lobbied because they said, even though there was an agreement for one third or 30%, that should not be the ceiling. And that's an important thing to pay attention to. It should be the floor because it will allow improvement or more than 30%. Now, it was envisaged that this was in 2001 when the legislation was passed it was envisaged that that could have or should have grown to 50% by the year 2010. I must say, hasn't happened. So the background is fascinating. And I think it is good to have an insight into the thinking of the legislature, le legislators, the women, the lobbyists, civil society at that time, and bring us right back to the present where there is stasis. We're still at 30%. And when you look at the revised constitution. There were three main issues as it related to women's representation. One, the extraction of women's names from the list. Two, the minimum proportion of female candidates to be placed on a party's list. And three, the maximum proportion of geographical constituencies in which a party may contest, in which its list have no female candidates. The, the thinking behind looking at these three areas is that there would have been a level playing field to provide equal opportunity and favorable conditions from women of all ages and backgrounds on equal terms to allow, encourage, or afford them the entry into parliament and politics. And it, it was felt that at this point in time, quotas would ensure this. And, and it was exactly just that. But while the discussion ensued and everyone, including the Constitutional Reform Committee, they were conscious that there was something missing. And it was, it was mentioned that even though women were being pulled out of their electoral list, it did not translate to them coming into parliament. And that's an important, important distinction that I want to, to make because 
The law as it is currently drafted makes reference only to the proportion of women included on electoral party lists. That does not mean that they have to come into parliament. And so it's not mandatory language, it's discretionary in a sense. So there's no guarantee that one third women will hold seats in parliament. So the issue of extraction of women off the list still remains. So we've seen a fluctuation of this figures of this figure of 30% or one third to above or below the quota. It has hovered, I would say, very close to 30%, and at, at times it would have gone a little beyond. Now, currently, women constitute approximately 35% of Guyana's members of parliament. Now, I, there are many, many lessons that we can learn from all of this, and I'm, I'm being very brief and succinct, but trying to give you all the salient points so that if there are questions, I can answer them. And quota adoption differs from country to country. So our successes and failures may not necessarily be transferable to any other country that would like to embark on this. And the discussion can be expansive and we can, we can speak of all the gaps, all the inadequacies and the glaring one of, of 30% not being mandated to be in parliament and we leave it up to the political parties to have 30% on their electoral lists. But when we think of quotas, we presume that there are women out there who would want to enter the political arena. We presume that they have the awareness, the training, the education, the support, the network to ensure their entry into politics is a smooth one. I'm not even going to say anything further. I think we all are aware of the realities of that. But I also want to say, if we are going to move to gender quotas, if we want to have that as part of our legislation, we need to ensure that the law is clear. It's unambiguous as it relates to lists and candidates. And it must ensure that the placement mandate is included to guarantee that a minimum number of women also make it into parliament. The placement mandate must be included in the law simultaneously. And I make that point because if you wait, we're still waiting. The law should not be drafted in a way to create a ceiling of women to be included. It should open the door to much more than that percentage at the initial stage. Ghana's law is, as I mentioned, written to create a floor of one third. So it does make allowances for greater nomination on candidate lists. Now the adoption of quota law is not sufficient and all of the other bits and pieces need to be included. Quotas, now, and this, this is gonna be contentious and I know there are gonna be different views around this. Quotas should not seek to place women simply because they're women, but women should meet certain eligibility criteria. You know, and it goes back to that earliest statement that I made, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm in support of that, but I do believe that it should not be mere tokenism. It should be women who are passionate, who would like to be transformative in their leadership, who would be advocates for all the things that we want women to have in our nations and across the region. And we need to have this consistent education and awareness at all times, if we are to get to that stage where we want to be. 
And Guyana's quota system, yes, there are inadequacies, but it has acted as a catalyst for the increased representation and inclusion of women in politics at the level of parliament, as well as other levels of government, the consciousness of their inclusion in parliament. And so that prevents fluctuations from dropping very much below the 30%. There's always the conscious decision, we need to have women on this, that, or the other. And that's a good place to be because it means that that's very much in the minds of people who have the powers to place women. Now, what we have also seen is better engagement among men and women because the increase of women in parliament has necessitated that men engage and they negotiate with women more than they had to when there are fewer of us in there. For example, women in parliament translated into more women appointed to parliamentary select committees. And so more women contribute to the design, the oversight and the consideration of bills and state affairs. And this is transforming men's attitudes. Now, not as fast as I would want it to happen, but it is transforming their attitudes and beliefs about women and challenging social norms. I can say that parliament is not viewed as a man's space but it is not yet viewed as an equal space too. So we still have much more to happen. More women in parliament should translate into more women making decisions about our economy. And there should be more in terms of political accountability because of our presence in parliament. I also want to say, I want to peg this, that we've seen more indigenous or Amerindian women in our parliament and that's a very very good thing now if we look back a little bit i'm not sure how i'm doing for parliament i'm sure senator henfield will just give me a signal if i'm exceeding my time but we have seen that after the 2001 legislative changes with respect to political representation women in guyana's parliament increased at that time from 18.5 percent upwards to where we are to 35 percent we had subsequent to that a deputy speaker of the house being female. We saw the highest ranking judiciary position that of the chancellor was being held by women. There are more female judges. Our current chief justice is female. We have also seen the chief whips on both sides of the house being female. We have currently a female minister of parliamentary affairs and governance. We've seen more women on the regional democratic councils, more of us would have been out there to represent Guyana on a number of committees and conferences overseas. We have been able to advance our peculiar perspectives and position on governance. And our current cabinet has six female ministers. Still, we need more. Of course, there's always, you know, that thing that we want to see in every country too. I leave it there. So we've seen shifts away from only men speaking on particular subjects and women being afforded equal opportunity to present on anything that might have been considered off limits or male turf, because we would have seen before softer subjects, softer everything for women, but no longer. Women are there equal with the men. You still need more. I will always advocate for more, but it is there. Now, the National Tushaus Council also in 2009, elected its first woman. So that again, showed some progress. And 
Over the time from 2001 to now, our female government ministers have ensured the passage of strong pieces of legislation that impact on the lives of women because they understood the necessity of these pieces of legislation and they were sensitive to how it would affect women. The Domestic Violence Act, the Sexual Offenses Act, the Common Law Union Act, to name a few, and there have been many campaigns targeting violence against women and children. The Women and Gender Equality Commission, we have members there and they have representation on many, many issues. Now, it sounds like a rosy picture, but I'd be doing an injustice if I could, if I say to you, this is the end. It's not, it's not enough either. We must still continue to push for 50-50 because that's where the journey stops. That's where the journey stops and nowhere else. So while we have had numerical and descriptive representation of women, we need to have continued collective female approach to ensure that there is more at all levels, be it quotas in legislation or in policy outcomes. And I, I also want to say that while we have had the quota system, prior to that, we also had our woman president. So whether there is a direct correlation between what I would have said and the quota, there is still more to ascertain from that. It is, it is hard to say whether it is only the quota that would have allowed all of this to happen. And we still have the distance between women and patriarchal norms, state processes and structures. And outside of the legislature, we are not seeing enough women in top positions. So I would like to perhaps stop a little bit here and just to say that while us women are placed in the position as parliamentarians and ministers of government, in the sense that there are so many expectations of us to do it all and do it right and make sure that at all times we advocate and represent, which we are doing, there is the real, real dilemma that faces so many women within their, their various environments in terms of how they're viewed by their male counterpart and what they have to navigate to even get their voices heard or get to that point where they can advocate for someone other than themselves. And that I think is the battle that we have to, to fight harder because we have to make, it's not only about seeming right or aligning with what seems right, but we have to make it about really ensuring that the space is there at all times for everyone and nothing should be off limits. So when the UN said that women are slowly gaining political power thanks to quotas and special members measures, I wanna say yes, but the gains envisaged in 2001 if not materialized to the extent that we want to see. Ghana has led the way, no doubt. We continue to do a lot of things, but there must be much more if we want balanced 